The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Jesus says all kinds of shocking statements through the Bible. He makes statements that are hard to believe, statements that upset the status quo, statements that challenge the religious conventions, and statements that on the surface are just hard to understand. In fact, if you were to isolate these statements, you might find yourself asking, like, what was Jesus thinking? Or why would he say something like that? Jesus makes statements like, be perfect, like your heavenly father is perfect. Or statements like, I'm going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Statements about the reality of hell. Jesus' statements made religious leaders upset. They made the disciples confused. Yet Jesus made these statements to point to important truths about who he was and what he came to do. If you could turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 23. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1536. Now as we look at these this section of shocking statements. Jesus makes several different shocking statements here. And before we jump into the text, what I want to warn you is that Jesus is a bit harsh. And so he's doing this actually, though, with multiple audience, which is, which is interesting, because he's having a conversation with religious leaders, but he's using this conversation with the religious leaders as a demonstration to the crowds who are listening in. And so his words are directed at the religious leaders, the teachers, the Pharisees, Yet there are the disciples they're observing, and there are the crowds who are witnessing that. And so Jesus simultaneously teaches the religious leaders and exposes some things in them, yet he also is teaching something to the crowds listening in. And so I want to dive into this text. And the way that we'll work our way through this chapter is we're actually going to jump around the text a bit. And so we'll start in verse 13, and then we'll work our way through the different warnings that Jesus makes. Now, What's interesting, the way that this text is written, it's actually written in a a poetic kind of structure, which means that the the first warning actually parallels the seventh, the second will parallel the sixth, the third parallels the fifth, and then the fourth kind of stands as a key centerpiece of all of these warnings. And so we're actually going to jump through going in that same order as we look through the warnings. But I'll begin with just, just the simple phrase that repeats itself all throughout. It says in verse 13, Woe to you! Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. All right, we'll stop there for just a second. Because what Jesus is doing, Jesus uses this opportunity to warn the religious. Right, this is why it says, teachers of the law and Pharisees. This is who Jesus is talking to. He's warning these religious leaders that they've missed some things. That they have some problems. And and what's interesting is all throughout this, what we'll find about Jesus is he warns the religious leaders, but he doesn't give up on them. And I think this is important for a number of reasons as Jesus has this conversation. Because both of us are in the room, right? There's the crowd and there's the religious leaders. And so as we are in a room like this, many of us, maybe you would consider yourself religious. Maybe you wouldn't. But Jesus speaks something that speaks to both of us. And so maybe you are the religious and maybe you don't like that term. But if you've grown up a part of the church reading the Bible... Or that you would fit into that category. You know how the crowd thinks and acts and talks. And so Jesus sees us. And many of the things that Jesus speaks to these religious leaders will resonate with you as a Christian. 
But then there are others in this room that may, maybe you're not so sure where, how you feel about the whole God or religion thing. And so you're here, and just like the crowd, you get to listen in on a conversation that Jesus has. You get to listen in on some warnings that Jesus makes. And so while you might have tension and say, all right, I don't know if I like what those religious leaders are doing and the God that they represent, Jesus will then show you, all right, let me tell you what God is actually like. And so if you're not religious, you get to listen in on a conversation and see what Jesus says that God is like. And so as Jesus talks to the crowds and he talks to these religious leaders, he demonstrates Something significant. He demonstrates that the kingdom of God is big enough for all types of sinners. And so he makes this demonstration by blasting these religious leaders with warning after warning, exposing hypocrisy and hurt and rebellion. Now as we talk about this idea of hypocrisy, because this will become a theme in it that Jesus reiterates over and over, it's important to understand that there are really two types of hypocrites. There, there are two kinds of hypocrites that we can find in our world. And this is not just a religion thing. This is any areas of our life. You'll find hypocrites in the workplace, in your families, in communities, in, in, in religious communities. There are two kinds of hypocrites, malicious and accidental. See, a malicious hypocrite is the intentional hypocrite, the person who is intending to deceive someone. It's the person trying to make a false impression. Or they have some kind of evil or twisted goal Now, what happens often is in our communities, we generally think about people who aren't like us as though they fit in that category. We assume, well, they must have some kind of other intentions. They must have some other kind of goal that they're trying to be deceptive. Now, the reality is most of what we actually experience are accidental hypocrites. It's the person who had good intentions. They wanted wanted to teach their kids the right thing to do, but then when it came down to it, they actually did something different. It wasn't like evil intentions. It was just accidental hypocrisy. Somebody who thought he was doing good, who thought he was making things better, that in the end actually made things worse. And I think the reality is for many of us, we often find ourselves in that spot. Accidentally a hypocrite. I'm sure that at times maybe, maybe some of us will find intentional hypocrisy, but for many of us it's, accidental hypocrisy which becomes the challenge now now the challenge with this though is accidental hypocrisy is a lot harder to notice than intentional hypocrisy because if you're intentional like i don't need to tell you you already know you and so if i point it out you're like well yeah i'm I'm doing that but accidental hypocrisy takes a little bit more pushing it takes some more work to expose what you're doing because you think you're doing good you think you're doing the right thing and so jesus here when he's going to lean into these religious leaders He pushes hard in order to expose some things that they didn't even realize was a problem. And so Jesus unloads on these religious leaders. Because what Jesus is doing, Jesus is diagnosing a problem. Think of it this way. Imagine a doctor who didn't like to upset people. And so it's a sensitive man and... Imagine he never wanted to shatter people with the bad news. And so when he came in with a diagnosis, imagine him saying, Sir, I can see why you are in pain. You have a condition and it rises from time to time. But ordinarily it resolves itself naturally. And after it does, you'll feel no pain. Now if that was your doctor, you'd want to find a new doctor. Because that's not a good doctor. Because he's ignoring the the harsh, shocking reality of the problem. 
Because he doesn't want to point out how bad things really are. But in that situation, you need a doctor who says, if something doesn't change, you're going to die. If we don't operate, if you don't change your lifestyle, if we don't do something, it's not going to end the way you want it to. That's what Jesus is doing here. It may be shocking, it may be harsh, but he's doing it because he needs to point out the problem so that he can give people the solution that they need. And so as we read these, what we'll find is for many of us, we'll find warnings that maybe we didn't even realize were true of our own life. Maybe some things we didn't even realize that we were struggling with. And so Jesus begins with the first warning in verse 13 when he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. See, the religious leaders are slamming the door of heaven in people's faces. In other words, what they were doing, they're, they're teaching something that keeps people out, not that brings them in. And so the way that the religious leaders were doing this in Jesus' day is they got so focused on the rules, on the ritual of religion, that they forgot about the God of their religion. They got so focused on the obedience that, that, that they missed the grace and love of God. Now, they read the scriptures. They studied the scriptures. They were faithful in their obedience. People would point to them in their, in their devotion, but they'd miss the grace of God. And so the moment Jesus comes along, people start to notice something different about what Jesus says. Now, what's different is not actually that he's teaching something different than what the scriptures taught, but he's teaching something that the people began to miss. He's pointing out the flaws in, the way, in their, their way of thinking. He's opening the doors to pe- people that were normally being kept out. And see, here's the mistake that's at the heart of Jesus diagnosing the problem. They don't recognize who Jesus is. They don't realize that Jesus is the promised Messiah who's come to bring heaven to earth. They don't realize that Jesus is welcoming sinners of all types and all ages. They don't realize that grace and forgiveness is at the heart of the God that they worship. They don't realize that their focus on obedience is not only keeping other people out, but it's keeping them out too. And so Jesus is giving them a warning that you're, you're shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You're missing. You're missing it. You don't recognize that all of the scriptures point to me. Now, Jesus will continue this and reiterate this in the, in the last warning, in verses 29 to 32. He will reiterate this by saying, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. You testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. Now this is a warning that Jesus is giving that relates to the last, because what Jesus is saying now is you've missed who the prophets talk about. And so these religious leaders were saying, all right, we, we follow the prophets. In fact, they would even say, we wouldn't have done what our forefathers did. That we wouldn't, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. We, w- we would believe what the prophets say. We we would have done things differently. And Jesus is pointing, calling it out to them and saying, All right, you've studied it, you've read it, but you don't actually believe in the one that the prophets speak of. That you say you've, you've 
listened and that you do things differently. But Jesus is saying, you're, you're missing that I am the one that the scriptures speak of. And now maybe as Christians, we don't have the struggle that we're not decorating tombs for the prophets. But the temptation to miss Jesus hasn't gone away. Because we can read and study the scriptures and, and it can be very easy to think that the scriptures are all about us and how to live our lives. And while the scriptures have a lot to say about that, if you read the Bible and it's not pointing you to Jesus, you're not reading it right. This is what the religious leaders are doing in Jesus' day. They're reading it, they're studying it, and they miss who the scriptures point to. Now, as Jesus continues, then he, he realizes that this creates a problem. Because if you're reading and studying and it's pointing you to the wrong message, if it's pointing you to the wrong solution then it's actually going to do more harm than it is good. And so Jesus gives them a warning saying that or you are doing more harm than good. And you might mean well, but it's not helping. In verse 15, this is how Jesus says it. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Now, you may not notice the level of insult, but this is my favorite out of the warnings that Jesus gives. Because what Jesus is doing here, he's essentially making kind of the biggest yo mama joke in all of the Bible. Right? He's, what he's saying is, all right, yo, yo mama was so bad that when you were born, everybody found out that the, that the father was not your dad, but it was actually the devil. Right? Jesus is pointing out that when you are going and trying to spread this message that you are so supposedly devoted to, what you are finding out that they have become even worse than the reality that the devil's the baby daddy. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. So he is slamming these religious leaders, saying you, are, you, you have become awful, and when you try to spread this message, you're doing more damage than good. You're not helping people. See, religious devotion doesn't help when it only spreads bad news. Evangelism can only happen if there's good news. Now, it doesn't mean there's not bad news, and I think Jesus makes that clear, because Jesus is leaning into the bad news here. He's, he's pointing out all the problems for these religious leaders. So this is not a question of, is there bad news? Is there sin to call out? Jesus has no problem calling out the reality of sin. But what Jesus does is important because when Jesus points out sin and when Jesus is calling out the worst, he does so in order to point out the promise. In order to point out his love and his forgiveness. See, Jesus doesn't diagnose the problem without a remedy to the problem. But the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they're diagnosing a problem and they're giving people the wrong remedy. And so they're showing people obedience and they're showing people the will of God. And they're saying, here's what we need to do and be committed to. And so all of these people are realizing the problem, but they're being given the wrong solution. And so they're left without hope. Jesus, again, in verses 27 and 28, will, will continue to push into this idea that, that these religious leaders, when he says to them, you do more harm than good. This time he says it a little bit differently when he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So these religious leaders, 
He's saying, are you put on a facade? You act like you've got it all together. But inside there's wickedness and evil and hypocrisy. See, this is why as a church we elevate this idea of belonging so much. Because if the priority is only changing behavior in order to be a part of the family, it it does more harm than good. That doesn't mean that changing behavior doesn't matter. It's a part of the, the journey. But if, if changing behavior is what gets you in, the result is not actually people coming to Jesus. The result is simply a bunch of whitewashed tombs. People who, know, who learn to talk the talk. People who learn to act like they've got it all together. People who learn to put on a show. But when nobody's around, then they know what's really there. This is why being in a small group can be so important because church doesn't just happen when you show up on a Sunday morning. Now something significant happens, right? We hear from God. We receive the promises of God. But something happens when God is in at, at work in us in a community, when you see people around you and you know their story. Because I could stand up here every week and tell you your sins are forgiven. But the the truth is I don't know your sin. And I don't know your struggle. And I don't know your doubts or your questions. And it doesn't make it not true. But when you are in a community of people who know your questions and they know your doubts. And they know the particular sins that you hope nobody else ever knows about. When they tell you that your sins are forgiven. It teaches us something different about God. No, it's the same truth. But we begin, we begin to get even better a picture of a God who knows every thought, every question, every struggle, yet continues to say, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Because when you have a group of people who also know the sin and they're not going anywhere, it teaches you that you have a God who will do the same. Now, Jesus has another warning about, and this he continues, right? Because all of this is all connected to one, one another. And so these religious leaders, although they have the scriptures, they misuse it. They misuse it because it's not pointing to the right things and because they're majoring in things that simply aren't at the heart of what God is all about. And so with the fifth warning, Jesus is saying to the religious leaders that you misuse the Bible, Now, if you're not a Christian, this is probably an easy one for you to see in religious communities. Because you could look around and you could hear stories and you could see leader after leader after leader who in the name of Jesus does things that have nothing to do with Jesus. The church has a bad reputation for this, doesn't it? And it's because this warning hasn't stopped being true for religious people. And it's been happening since the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are in the garden... The serpent is trying to twist God's own words when he says, did God really say you shouldn't eat for any tree? Or when Jesus is tempted in the desert, the devil actually uses scripture to try to get him to fall into temptation. See, people all throughout history have been taking God's own words and twisting them, misusing them. And so Jesus is calling this out when he says, woe to you, blind guides. In other words, you are supposed to be leading people, but you have no idea where you're going. It says, you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by oaths. 
You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. Jesus is jumping into this religious debate and telling them, you're completely missing the point. You're completely misusing the scripture to make an argument when you're missing the very heart of what God is all about. And so Jesus then, that's why he will then reiterate this in verses 25 to 26 and says, when you read the scriptures, when you follow God, you're ignoring the heart. And so in verse 25 and 26, he says it this way, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Again, he jumps into another religious conversation. When he says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. And so there's this debate. As they misuse the scriptures, these religious leaders are debating, all right, well, what parts of the cup do we need to clean? What do we need to do in order to make it clean? And and so many of the rabbis would actually teach that that you just need to clean the outside, and it doesn't really matter if there's something moldy and dirty on the inside. It doesn't really matter that that would spoil whatever is going into the cup. And Jesus is looking at that and saying, you completely missed the point. Like you're completely ignoring the heart of what I want. You don't just clean the outside and ignore the inside. And then Jesus says, and it's not, it's not just about the cup, though. It's about you. you. You don't just clean up your act and ignore the problem. You don't just get rid of the symptoms, ignore the heart. So Jesus says to these, to these religious leaders that you, you've done worse than the cup. You're neglecting your own heart. And we do the same thing. We, we smile and act polite while anger and envy is on the inside. We give to charity, but we take advantage of somebody else. We, we are devoted to church, but then we talk about our neighbor behind our back. We're quick to point out somebody else's sin, but we ignore our own. In fact, if you want a good indicator or whether or not this warning is for you, if, if as we are talking about all this, if you're thinking of somebody else, Jesus is probably trying to tell you something. Because what Jesus wants to do is he wants to expose something in your own heart. And then right in the center of all of these warnings is this key issue. That these religious leaders, he says, you are neglecting significant issues of faith. And so he says it in verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice. Mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. See, these religious leaders have it all figured out. They, they know how to deliver a divorce certificate according to the law. They, they know how to tithe properly. They know how to dress properly. And Jesus says, all right, that's great, but you miss justice. You're missing faithfulness. You're missing mercy. See, the more and more that any of us focus on the details, the minutia of obedience, it can be easy for us to begin to miss the heart of obedience. Justice is God's desire that his people would preserve human life. That we would defend, that we would protect, that we would speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. That we would fight for those who can't fight for themselves. Faithfulness is God's desire that we would be committed to our neighbors. 
that we would become our brother's keeper, that we would serve the people around us, that we would provide for our families, that we would stay, that we would not give up on them. Mercy is God's desire that his people would extend care even to the reckless, even to the people who don't deserve it. And this diagnosis, any of which might be something that you struggle with, points us to something even more important, that it's never too late. Because Jesus warns the religious, but he never gives up on them. And even though they've neglected justice, faithfulness, and mercy, God hasn't. Because what happens in this message that Jesus makes to the religious leaders, and while the crowds watch, Jesus reminds all of them that he's come to rescue people who need it the most. And sometimes those people who need to hear it most are the people who are in the crowd. The people who maybe weren't religious. Who never heard it, were skeptical of it, maybe didn't really have interest in God or religion. Or even would look at religious leaders and say, I don't know if I want to follow that kind of God. And maybe some of you are here today experiencing that, that you've been skeptical of it, you've been unsure about it, and you would turn on the TV and you see religious leaders in the news day after day, and you're like, oh, that's the God that the Bible talks about. I'm not sure I want anything to do with him. And Jesus lets you listen into this conversation to say, I have come for you. And sometimes the people who desperately need to hear it are people, they've been devoted to it their whole lives. They've been coming, they've been listening, they've been reading, they've been studying, yet all the while missed it. That over time began to become focused on the wrong things. See, Jesus warns the religious but never gives up on them. And the crazy reality is that when Jesus doesn't give up on the religious, it teaches those in the crowd that Jesus will never give up on any of us. Because the religious leaders, like they like. They they were evil. And if Jesus won't give up on them, he's not going to give up on you either. Because God's promises of justice and faithfulness and mercy, it's for all of us. And in the end, we all need the same promise. God's desire for justice led Jesus to the cross. Because when you were vulnerable, Jesus chose to fight for you. When you were fighting something that you couldn't win, Jesus chose to fight for you. When you felt beaten down by what you were up against, Jesus won the fight that you can't win. Because Jesus, in his heart for justice, it took him to the cross for you. And God's faithfulness to you has never been dependent on your own faithfulness. And so whether you've come to church and, 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 have, and, and are ready to give up on it, maybe you've been devoted to the wrong things, or maybe you've wanted nothing to do with it your entire life, God's faithfulness doesn't depend on any of that. His faithfulness depends solely on his heart for you. And so the death and resurrection of Jesus is God's faithfulness, his promise that he will never leave, that he will never give up. In God's mercies, the book of Lamentations tells us, is new every morning. You know what that means for you? Like when you have done the wrong thing, when you've said the wrong thing, when you regret the choice, when you are are fighting the fight and you don't know how to beat it, the promise means that mercy never runs out. 
that every morning you wake up to the new promise that God will continue to be with you, that he will continue to love you and he will continue to forgive you. And that means that people like us, religious or not, people who've been here forever or people who are hearing it for the first time, that Jesus gives to us what no one else can. That nothing, that nothing will separate us from the love of God. That his death, his resurrection is for you. And that his mercy will never run out on you. Jesus, we thank you so much for this incredible promise that you love us, that you forgive us. Thank you for defending us, for fighting for us, and promising that you will never give up on us. Thank you that when we have rebelled against you, that you continue to be faithful to you. Thank you that when we've wanted nothing to do with you, you continue to speak to us. And Jesus, whether we have been a part of this our whole lives or whether we've been skeptical of it, Jesus, I just thank you that you promise your mercy to us, that you open the door to heaven to all of us, promise us life and forgiveness because of you.